How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. A great day for talk radio, even though weather-wise, uh, gray skies and a little bit of precipitation, two degrees, continuing cool. And then that changes tomorrow. We've got some sunshine on the way, a high into double digits around 13, 14. Ditto for Sunday. Even next week is going to be better. Uh, at some point, they say Thursday, projecting far out, could be as high as 18. So happy days are here again. And uh, shortly, the golf courses will open. And then next weekend, too, is the Masters, which is, to me, the harbinger of spring. I mean, there are a list of them. Saw first Robin the other day, ticking the box. What else? Usually the Leafs are out of the playoffs, but they're going to start next Thursday. So, uh, I don't know. That kind of spells everything, turns it on its ear, my little paradigm there. But, however, uh, going to be interesting to see how the Leafs fare against the Bruins because uh, Toronto's been sort of really inconsistent of late. We'll have to wait, watch, and see. And uh, the Jays are playing. There's another harbinger of spring. They're in Cleveland, the mistake by the lake. But uh, that all being said, I wanted to uh, turn to other matters shortly. We'll get to our uh, topics worthy of discussion panel. And, uh, you know, the thing with uh, the number of teachers whose jobs will be lost to attrition is a sticking point. Uh, The quality of education in the province, if we're getting bang for our buck, has become uh, somewhat a focus, too, of uh, where we're putting our money and our resources, priorities. Uh, they're talking, the government is, of uh, the STEM uh, courses. You know, the sciences, technology, engineering, and maths being the priority as opposed to the electives. But what is the quality of education all about? Is it really about preparing people for the job force, or is it something that is to expand minds and open up new avenues of uh, curiosity and Enlightenment and all the rest. All right. That being said, we'll get to it when we do in just a moment or two. But first off, Joe Newberger has joined us because there are some legal matters we need to uh, put into perspective and context. And uh, he's the global news radio law expert, after all, with Newberger and Partners. Joseph, good afternoon. John, how are you? Fine, thanks. How about you? Outstanding, thank you. Good, good. Well, <laughs> listen, I mean, here's a case I wanted to ask you about because there's a woman from Oshawa who back in 2014 in October, got into uh, an accident with an 83-year-old woman going the wrong way, it appears, and uh, the woman was killed. So uh, when the other woman driving the car was taken to the hospital for minor injuries, there was a urinalysis, I guess, conducted, and uh, it turns out that she was uh, driving uh, well over the legal limit. But uh, the officer overheard the nurse say that, and so he asked for the urine sample. Nurse obliged, and then he went and got a warrant. So on the face of it, it looks to me like this was uh, sort of, you know, backwards. And as a consequence, the courts basically sprung the woman. She was, uh, you know, uh, it was overturned. She uh, was, I guess, exculpated from all charges. Is that appropriate to do? I mean, in the public interest, uh, you've got somebody who might have been driving over the legal limit. How uh, sacrosanct is the law here that it trumps that consideration? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. So from the perspective of the public, it's it's very hard to stomach. I get it. But there's two issues here to consider. One is the police cannot intentionally obtain information 
from hospital staff in breach of medical confidentiality. And before obtaining any type of samples, they need a warrant. It would have been very simple, very simple for the officer to notice that samples are being taken and go get a warrant. Would have been very simple. It did not happen this way in this case. And unfortunately, the way it unfolded with the assistance of the hospital and the breach of confidentiality and without having a warrant prior to seizing a sample, it results in a very significant breach. So again, I think it's very important to uphold the fact that you can't breach these rights of an individual, but I get why the public is quite outraged about it. Well, uh, I guess the uh, judge said that it would bring the administration of justice into disrepute and not right. be in the public interest. So right. again, the administration of justice and uh, making sure everything is done according to Hoyle is paramount. Right, because we have to not just focus on this case. The issue is then, if, if it would be admissible in this case, then there are no limits on police powers. That's what everybody has to focus on. If there are no limits on police powers, then they can seize anything they want, breach your confidentiality, patient doctor, um, there's no right under Section 8 anymore. And so then we, we arrive into a police state. That's the issue. Some people may say, well, this guy's just extreme. It's not. We have to abide by these rules, and they're not hard to comply with. That's the issue. Yeah. And so we have to be very careful with this and not, and not go down the road of something where we erode our rights simply because of what the end result would have been. So it seems to me like uh, the cop was lazy and took a shortcut, whereas you say it would have been easy enough to get the warrant. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, find out what the urinalysis said. Uh, but he had it backwards, and that's uh, what sprung this woman from a case that uh, might have cost her some time in the bin. i got to ask you, Joe, about something else that's uh, maybe, I don't want to say it's uh, an infringement of rights, but uh, the independence of lawyers is under attack. Tell me about this. The Society, the Law Society of Ontario, is uh, holding, I guess, later this month, uh, their choices for bencher, but it seems there's yeah. a values test. This is the people, I guess, who govern the society. There seems to be a values test now that screens these lawyers, right? Yeah, like I'm at a loss. I got to tell you, I was contemplating running for bencher, and there's been so much going on now. So, you know, yes, so there's the law society is governed by a treasurer and then benchers who are lawyers elected to that body. And there's a values test to determine if they're of sufficient character to be uh, elected to that position. But then there are all sorts of rulings about people who are licensed then, who've had previously, you know, engaged in conduct, which was unbecoming. So I'm at a loss here to figure out which way we're really going in. And I'm in favor of the highest standard possible. And I don't see that consistency uh, being applied to everybody. So I'm not sure where we're going to go on this. And I have a real concern because for me, protection of the public when it comes to going to lawyers is exceptionally important. You need to know you're hiring somebody of the utmost integrity. And I have not seen that in recent times with certain people who have been okay to be licensed and practice law. Yeah, but it's also suggesting that you abide by a statement of principles, quote-unquote, yeah. that uh, an acknowledges your obligation to, quote, promote equality, diversity, and inclusion in all of your affairs, both professionally and personally. Uh, so, you know, if you don't subscribe to that, maybe you don't believe in diversity, for example, I don't know, uh, that would preclude you from being uh, a bencher in good standing. Yeah, so look, there is this you know, push some time ago about diversity and inclusion and, and, you know, 
not excluding uh, racialized lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a mission statement. Now, the majority of us in this practice have very diverse practices. We have people from who work for us for all walks of life. This is pretty easy to subscribe to. What a, some segments of the law profession have had an objection to is, I don't want that to be dictated to me. And there was a challenge in the courts, and it lost. I really don't think this is significant. It's being raised in a manner that I think is not so significant. We all believe in equality and inclusion. And frankly, many of us who litigate do it in such a way that this, these are the principles we promote when we go to court. That being said, some lawyers are of the opinion it's better that we decide on our own than having it dictated to us. But we are also representing the public, and there's a public interest that we have to look out for. Okay. I just wondered if uh, it was necessary to have it codified, and if that's the case, you know, who writes the code and who makes the decision how lawyers have to comport themselves, you know, uh, as far as values are concerned. Almost seems like an infringement of rights or your independence. But uh, let me move to another one where uh, Quebec, you know, I mean, they sought independence. Uh, They're certainly Mm -hmm. going about things in their own way when it comes to matters of freedom of conscience and things like that. This religious symbols bill that they're promoting and are going to pass includes the notwithstanding clause. So uh, you can't take it to the Supreme Court where it would ultimately be tested. And, you know, uh, I guess certain rights would be upheld. Uh, So in this case, it's a real test of legal maneuvering. Lawyers are now saying they're trying to figure out a way that they could get around uh, this bill that would make, you know, people uh, in the public sector, authority figures, cops, judges, uh, teachers, not be allowed to wear uh, turbans, uh, the kippah or the uh, yarmulkes, the whole thing, and the uh, hijab. Uh, Any legal recourse here to get around that notwithstanding clause? I I think this is a clear human rights violation. And if they they invoke that notwithstanding clause, I, you know, I still think there's a basis in which to still apply to the courts uh, to try and um, implement uh, a way that people can have their freedom of religion uh, protected. And this is an abuse. It's really bad. This is this is exceptionally bad. And I think we're going to see a very serious debate now between that notwithstanding clause and very important rights to freedom of expression, freedom of religion, and I think the Supreme Court's going to have to deal with this, and, and, and the federal government. It's not a joke here. It's one thing to ban certain things that may be offensive to others, but when it comes to freedom of religion, we cannot go that far and just ban people because they have religious symbols. And I think the Supreme Court of Canada is going to have to decide on it, and our parliament's going to have to decide on it. This is not acceptable. Well, they're saying it might even go to the United Nations, the Convention on uh, Human Rights and so on and so forth, I know. Uh, And finally, I've got to ask you, because this SNC-Lavalin thing, interesting poll done by Nanos Research, it finds about a 50-50 split on Canadians uh, when it comes to whether they see this as a political issue or a legal issue. How about you? You know, it's extremely interesting. And, you know, you and I have spoken about this, and, and there's been a lot of commentary on it. And I think it's an interesting debate, and I'm very interested now to see what the public is saying here, because the reality is we've got a clear fight between Trudeau, Wilson-Raybould, and what really went on, and whether this is a political ploy. And, you know, I'm falling on the side, and this is not really a legal issue for me, it's more political. And I think I said this before with you, John, I think we, we talked about this. If the Prime Minister's office really wanted to have discussions with the Attorney General's office, 
about some alternative arrangement because they are concerned about Canadian jobs. That's their primary concern. I have a lot of sympathy for that. I do. And I don't think it's bad for the PMO's office to be involved to see what can we do to save jobs and pensions for people. But if it's politically motivated, because there's a lot of information coming out, will we lose votes in Quebec when it comes time for the next election? I take a different view of that. But, you know, I think people are 50 are split on this. Mm-hmm. Because they are. It's not really clear here. And, you, and, you know, surreptitious, uh, you know, recording of communications with high-ranking bureaucrats, that's a bad thing. So nobody's got clean hands here. Yeah, but that's a sideshow. I mean, the whole point of... Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, let's not get distracted by that. I mean, the issue was obstruction of justice or political interference. That's the original sin, I call it. And uh, whether or not it's political or it's legal... Uh, I guess remains to be seen because we need to know, and maybe it'll come out in a trial or a public inquiry, what the director of public prosecutions decided to base the criminal prosecution on rather than offering a remediation agreement. You're absolutely right. But, you know, I still don't have a clear path to whether the PMO's office made a direction or a very strong suggestion. If it's a very strong suggestion in law, I don't think this amounts to obstruction. And, you know, I'm no fan of this government. I'm absolutely no fan. I've made it very clear. But if there is very strong suggestions about how this could be handled, as opposed to a direction, I don't think it amounts to obstruction of justice. And we have been sidetracked by the circus on the side, which I think is is not getting the public to where we need to go. We need some clear answers, and we're not getting them. And that bothers me the most. And, and, you know, there's such smoke and mirrors with the Liberal government. That bothers me the most. I want some clear answers, and you do too. Well, this is why perhaps the only uh, avenue now is a public inquiry, I'm sure. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Joseph, we'll let you go on that note. I appreciate it as always. Have a great weekend. Talk soon. You too, John. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio law expert from Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.